So welcome to a new series. Today we start a series on famous love. And uh, this is one that I've been wanting to do for about eight or nine months now. I'm actually doing this whole series for the lesson on the third week because I am so excited about that. So uh, when I say the phrase famous love, what comes to your mind? What do you think? Famous love, what comes to your mind? Brad Pitt and Angela Jolie. Wow, I didn't see that one coming. I really didn't. So I had like several options in my notes, and that wasn't one of them. Famous love, what do you think? Romeo and Juliet, right? Absolutely. I mean, this is, that's the first thing I had in my notes, okay? What else? What's that? Jesus, all right. And, and I was counting on somebody eventually getting there. I thought there'd be several other answers first. Um, but my, in my notes, it says my bet is that most of us do not turn to Scripture first. There's something else that triggers our minds on this concept. So I want to spend a couple weeks uh, looking at this topic. If you want to open your Bibles up to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, we'll be there in just a second. 1 Corinthians 13. Uh, but I want us to look at uh, a couple different things about uh, the Bible and God's view on love and some examples uh, in Scripture of that. So 1 Corinthians 13. All right, I'll start in verse 1 and we'll read through verse 10. And this first paragraph really sets the stage for the importance of it. So verse 1, Though I speak with the tongues of men and angels, but have not love, I have become sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I can remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. So this the second paragraph we go into looks at love in action. Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself. It does it is not puffed up. Love it does not behave rudely. It does not seek its own. It is not provoked. It thinks no evil. It does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. Bears all things. Believes all things. Hopes all things. Endures all things. And this third paragraph looks at the endurance of love. So love never fails. Verse eight. But where there are prophecies, they will fail. Where there are tongues, they will cease. Where there is knowledge, it will vanish away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away with. So during this series, we're going to look at three different parts of this particular chapter. Uh, and I'm going to talk about three different lessons that I have been taught over my life that have really impacted me around this concept, around this topic. So today is Love Chooses. Next week is Love Wins, and the third week is Love Does. Um, and I don't know how many of you have, are familiar with those last two, but those last two are actually pretty famous in Christianity right now. Um, so we will, we will look through those. So uh, today's lesson is Love Chooses. And let me ask you a question. If you ask the average uh, engaged couple in America today, why are you getting married? What's, what's, the, what's the typical answer? What did you say? Tax benefits. tax benefits. I didn't see that one coming either. Wow. So we got Angelina Jolie and tax benefits today. So we're. <laughs> um, so, so the first response. I'm not even chasing that one. So the first response was what? Because we're in love, right? We're absolutely in love, and this is this is what happens. And the the typical scenario in America is, uh, boy meets girl, boy falls in love with girl, uh, girl uh, falls in love with boy. 
Boy goes and asks girl's father, hey, can I marry your daughter? Father asks the boy, are you in love with her? Boy says, yes. They go get married. And the basis for all of this is they're in love, right? And, and this is the way that we typically do that. So the foundation for marriage in that scenario is being in love. Um, so we just want to talk a little bit about uh, why that is grossly incorrect and completely misaligned with anything and everything that Scripture teaches and just give us room to think a little bit today about what maybe a better model looks like. So the points down there in the bottom of your handout, um, the first page is, number one is a biblical marriage is not based on being in love. It's not based on being in love. So let's go to Genesis chapter 2. So by way of reference, about 90% of what I'm talking about today comes from a sermon that Dr. Greg Mazak preached 15 years ago or so in South Carolina on choosing to love. Uh, Dr. Mazak was one of my psychology professors in college and had a profound impact on my life in the way in which I approach scripture and study and being very systematic and thorough about things and challenging assumptions that people are making uh, with arguments and with discussions and whatnot. So uh, if a lot of that feels a little more analytical today, that's where that's coming from. So, so Genesis chapter 2. So Genesis chapter 2 describes the first marriage. So if we want to challenge the assumption that, you know, what, what's a good marriage based on, maybe we go back to the first one and see if we can poke around a little bit. So what does verse 18 say? Who's got verse 18? make a helper suitable for him. Excellent. So any mention of love there? Any mention of love? No? Okay, let's, let's move on down a little bit. Uh, let's look at verses 21 through 24. This is kind of where they get together. They being Adam and Eve. <clears throat> verses 21 through 24. Who's got it? So my question is, was Adam in love with Eve? What's the answer? I don't know. Does it say? No, so let's not guess. Was Eve in love with Adam? I don't know. We don't know, right? And it makes sense to me that if the Bible is going to espouse the idea that being in love is a great foundation for getting married, that maybe it would be mentioned, right? Just perhaps. Maybe it would even be mentioned over and over and over and over again. In this first marriage ceremony, there's no mention of love at all. Um, <clears throat> so you might ask the question then, what's a biblical marriage based on? Great question. Thank you for asking that. Let's go to Malachi chapter 2. Malachi chapter 2. Sorry, I taught one of my ACT prep classes yesterday morning. When the kids don't ask questions, I will ask the question that I need them to ask and then tell them I appreciate them asking that question. So keeps them somewhat awake. It's okay. So Malachi chapter 2. You found Malachi yet? I'm just going to give you a minute because it's, it's a sneaky little devil. All right. If you can find Matthew, it's probably easier to find Matthew and then work your way backwards. So Malachi chapter 2, um, verse 14 here. This is God rebuking Israel because they claim to know him 
uh, and they have this outward religious expression, but inside their hearts are very, very cold. So what does Malachi 2.14 say? You got it? Excellent. wife by covenant. So this is the idea of, this is the closest that we have to a definition of what marriage is in the scripture. So your next blank. Number two is a biblical marriage is a covenant before God. A biblical marriage is a covenant before God. So this is the, the Lord is the witness here. And these are two people that are covenanting together. So, so the next question you go, well, what's a covenant? Right? Because that's not a word that I use a lot today. Um, I signed a covenant not to compete when I was with a certain uh, business at one time, and that was basically if I were to be terminated for that business for any reason, then for a period of, and my covenant not to compete was two years, that I agreed for two years in that particular area not to do what I had been taught to do by that particular business. So it was a legally binding contract, that's your blank, it's a legally binding contract with terms on both sides, with terms that say, you know, this is what happens if you do this. This is what happens if you do this. Um, the Hebrew uh, word for this document, I'm going to make, see if I can get it right, ketubah. Ketubah, there we go. Uh, and this is a big deal. And this is actually signed uh, on, the, on the day of the marriage and usually placed in the home so that the wife can point and say, you have agreed to do these things and you signed it. And it holds everybody accountable for their part of this legally binding contract. So the word that I want to focus on here though, if you look at Malachi 2.14, is it says, yet she is your, what does it say? Companion. So marriage is a covenant, here's your next blank, of companionship. And if you think back to Genesis chapter 2, what was Adam's problem before Eve showed up? He's lonely, right? Everything else has a pair. And I am alone. And I think it's beautiful that God, you know, parades all these animals in front of Adam to help him understand his loneliness. Because maybe he didn't get it at first. I, I don't know. Because it, it doesn't talk about Adam recognizing his loneliness before these other things. It talks about it after these other things. Um, so he's alone. God fixes that solution. Or he fixes that problem. So we see that marriage is a covenant before God to be lifelong companions. Now, my question is, do you need to be in love to accomplish that sentence? Do you need to be in love to be lifelong companions? No, you really don't. And, and quite frankly, the whole concept of being in love before you get married is an extremely new concept in the history of the world. Extremely new. In the last 150, 175, 200 years is really where this started. Before that, Everything was arranged. Yeah, you, you, your mama and your daddy got together with somebody else's mama and daddy, our grandparents, our great, and said, yeah, we're, we're going to exchange this, and they're going to get married. And that's the way it was. And guess what? Civilization survived. And along came our arrogance and our pride, and we decided that we could do it better and that it was about me and this selfish approach of it's what I want and what I need and what I desire and it's because I'm in love. No. 
then, then there's a downside to saying that this being in love um, is the basis for a marriage because number three, a biblical marriage must include the choice to love whether you are in love or not. So let's look at Ephesians 5.25. Can anybody quote this one? Ephesians 5.25. Who may know this one by heart? Husbands, love your wives. Yes, that's exactly what it says. I noticed that this was not a man that quoted this verse, right? Yep. Right? Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. Um, now, I am commanded to love my wife. I love you. It's awesome, right? Do you, do you like the fact that I love you? Yeah, that's helpful. Yeah. Um, what happens if I don't feel like loving you? <laughs> it, it can be bad for both parties, right? But I am commanded to do what? Commanded to love her. I'm not commanded to evaluate whether I love her or not. I'm not commanded to think about it. I'm not commanded to lean that direction. I'm commanded to go and do that. So I'm commanded to love my wife. The question is, is Julie commanded to love me? Not directly. <laughs> right? Um, I think Titus chapter 2, uh, verses 3 and 4, I'll read this for you. Titus 2, 3 and 4 leans that direction. Uh, this is uh, you know, Paul giving instruction to Titus on how to give instruction to the people in his church. And he tells Titus, the older women likewise, that they be reverent in behavior, not slanders, not given to much wine, teachers of good things, that they admonish the young women to love their husbands. So it's, there wasn't a command, and this is a different Greek word here for love. This is the word for like, okay? This is not the word for sacrifice life. The, the, word, the, the man word is agape, I will do everything, including lay down my life for her. The woman word is, I will like him. Okay, so, so a related concept, but not to the degree that the man is commanded to do this. So um, let's think about this for a second. So how do we know we're in love? How, how do we know we're in love? Honestly, how do, how do you know you're in love? You can what? You can feel it. It feels different. Guys, when you saw her for the first time, everything changed. You had feelings from the top of your head to the bottom of your toes and things were different because life was different around her. It was a desire that, you know, I want to be with her. I want to spend time with her. I want her. Let's look at 1 Corinthians 13 again and see how that lines up. <clears throat> I'll read you a quote from Mazak here. He says, uh, you might ask, now he's a, he's a psychologist. He said, you might ask, what's that called? He said, I would call that biological, cognitive, emotional arousal. That's what we could call it. It has something to do with hormones. We're not going to talk a lot about that, but I'm just saying that there's something going on there. Call it what you say. You, you say it's love. It's not love. It's arousal. I'm not saying it's bad. It's just not love. Love's a choice. So let's look at 1 Corinthians 13 again. Let's look at verse 4. Now, we sometimes talk about love as you fall into it, right? I fell in love. Yay. So let's, let's look at how Paul defines love and see if you can fall into 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 4. Love suffers long. Ever just find yourself falling into suffering long? 
you know, I just, I just happened to suffer long over this. It was wonderful. No, this is a choice. Love is kind. I just fell into kindness. No, this is a choice. Love does not envy. This is a choice. Love does not parade itself. This is a choice. Love is not puffed up. That's a choice. It does not behave rudely. That's a choice. Love does not seek its own. What do we do when we fall in love? I want to be with her. I want that. I, I want, I want, I want, I want. I have to be with you at all times. It's love says what's best for you. It doesn't seek its own. Love says I choose to do what's best for you. Love is a choice. Continuing on in verse 5, it is not provoked. It thinks no evil. That's a choice. It does not rejoice in iniquity. It's a choice. It rejoices in the truth. That's a choice. It bears all things. It believes all things. It hopes all things. It endures all things. These are choices to make. Your next blank is the... Uh, there's a difference between choosing to love and being in love. And, and I'm, I believe that we confuse these things quite a bit. Uh, and it has ridiculously awful consequences when we decide not to love. And when we have based the marriage on being in love, I want to show you how incredibly logical it is for next steps to take place. So a couple application points. Number one, before getting married, do not try to determine your, if you are in love. Decide if you are willing to choose to love. Marriage is a lifelong commitment to be companions as witnessed by God. And, and you may, so you may be married today and you may go, you know what? We, I've never really made that choice. Make that choice. Decide. You know what? I'm going to choose to love you for the rest of my life. And, and this is not easy, right? I mean, this is gut-wrenchingly difficult. God never promised easy. He promised he'd walk with us through it. That's what he promised. Um, and, and please understand that I'm not talking about yesterday. I'm talking about your today, and I'm talking about your tomorrows. I'm not, yesterday is yesterday. Um, so number two, you must choose to love your spouse even when you fall out of love. And, and this, is my biggest, this is my biggest concern with this concept of why are you getting married? We're in love. Well, what happens when you fall out of love? Well, the, the incredibly logical next step is to get a divorce, right? Because we're out of love. The foundation of what we built this thing on is now no longer here. So I, I just want us to all understand how incredibly logical guys are when they leave their wives because they're out of love. Because that's the basis. That's the foundation for it. And it's just horrible. It's absolutely awful. So, number three, you must choose to love your spouse even when you fall in love with someone else. Now, this is where the lesson gets really awkward. So let's just have the nervous laughter and we'll get over that. It's fine. So you say, can you fall in love with somebody else? Yes, you can fall in love with somebody else. And it is horrible. It's awful. It's the way that works. And that's the decision that I have made in front of God to love. That is the choice. It is not easy. It is gut-wrenchingly difficult. Um, there could be somebody at the office there could be somebody online. There could be somebody anywhere. But my decision to choose to love, number four, is because I made a covenant before God. 
There's a covenant before God. Remember Malachi 2.14. What did you still have it? You still have you don't have where's Malachi 2.14? Anybody still there? Anybody know why we get married in churches? It's pretty. Why else do we get married in churches, you know? It's it's the whole concept of before God, right? What does the preacher usually say right before before God and witnesses, right? Because God in Malachi 2:14 is the what? He's the what? What does he serve as? He serves as the witness, right? We did this before God. He is the witness here. That is why this has significance and permanence. So the question I have in your notes is why do I need to be faithful? My God. That's why I need to be faithful. That's it. And, and so I want you to see that my faithfulness has nothing to do with me or with her. It's not why it's there. My faithfulness has everything to do with my God. And this is, I'm telling you, this is not easy. This is hard stuff. This is what having a God-centered marriage is about, though. Um, I do this every once in a while. Is there, are there markers over there? I can't tell. All right. This is your math lesson for the day. So, can you guys see this? You see this over there? It's the Cartesian plane. It's a beautiful thing. Absolutely beautiful thing. <clears throat> we will say that God is at the center. Okay? Seems like a logical place to put God. The only way two independent objects can ever, forever, grow closer together is if they are both approaching the same point. Okay? So if he is here and she is here. I haven't defined any of the quadrants. I don't care what they are, wherever they are, right? If you are both growing toward God, what by default happens with each other? You get closer to each other. This is a God-centered marriage. This is He is the reason that this works. He is the reason for the covenant. You like this with math? You like it? It's, it works, doesn't it? It's beautiful, I know. Right? Yes. That's exactly right. So, some of you know. Well, it's, it's, it's reality, buddy. <laughs> if I'm going to err one way or the other, I'm going to err that way, right? Um, some of you know Josh. His mom taught me calculus in high school. So we grew up in the same town. So that, that touches me. She would love that, wouldn't she? I ought to post this in the tag her on Facebook or something. That'd be good. Um, all right, so so now let's let's set aside for a second. Did I get number five? Okay, I didn't get number five yet. Uh, you must choose to love your spouse if you are to picture the love of Christ for the church. You must choose to love your spouse if you're to picture the love of Christ for the church. So so let's set all the marriage stuff aside for just a second, because marriage is really just a picture about how God loves the church. That's what that is for. It's the relationship, that's what that's for. So here's my question. Why does God love you? He chose to, right? 
What, what good is there in me that made him choose me? Nothing. It, the, the only thing, remember when we did the Ordo Salutis series and we looked at all those little components of salvation. The only thing I bring to the relationship is sin. I bring sin. And he chooses out of his infinite wisdom and love and mercy and kindness and dot, 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 all those other things to love. This is the picture of that. Because when we talk about marriage, we're not really talking about marriage. We're really talking about how God loves us and the picture of that relationship. So we have this wonderful, loving, kind, righteous God that made me and you and we rebelled and we turned our backs on him and he chose to love us anyway. <laughs> and it is the spectacular love story of the world. So when, when you said, Jesus, yes, <laughs> that's the answer. That's famous love. That's the love that all the other love that we relate to on a more granular, nitty-gritty, practical way directs to and points to and reflects because that's the most famous love. So, so you say, what am I saying? All right. I'm saying love is a choice. And I'm saying if you have not decided to choose to love your spouse for the rest of your days, do that. And before, so free marriage counseling here, guys. You ready? So she posts like every 10 minutes on Facebook that she really likes you a lot, okay? Cool. And I think it's fantastic. I think it's fantastic. But before you think about going and getting a ring, and before you think about letting him put it on your finger, make sure that you've decided that that's what you're going to do, that you're going to choose to love forever. And if you're not ready to make that decision, don't. Don't. Okay. Don't. He, what, oh, what do we got here? Oh, he's going to pay me. <laughs> it's too big a decision, right? It's too big a decision. And when you do, go all in. Uh, I grew up in a basketball family. You got me thinking now. Where are you at? You got me thinking this morning. Um, I grew up in a basketball family. Uh, my dad was a basketball coach from 10 years before I was even born. It's all I knew growing up was basketball. And uh, I have heard every pregame, halftime speech, and postgame speech known to man. Everyone. I can get you fired up for whatever small thing or whatever big thing you need because I've got all these speeches in my head. My favorite one is Fosbury. You know who Fosbury is? Who knows who Fosbury is? The Fosbury flop, right. So there's this thing called the high jump in the Olympics where they put a bar way up in the air and using whatever you got with you and you and you alone, you get over this bar. And you go, well, that bar is taller than I am. How am I supposed to get up over that? And for years and years and years and years, everybody jumped it like a hurdle. You went up and you, you put one leg over and you put the other leg over. And then this guy named Dick Fosbury comes along and he does this goofiest looking wiggle thing in the air where his head goes over first and then his shoulders and then his body kind of flops and they call it the Fosbury flop. And they asked him after he won the gold medal in the Olympics, how in the world did you come up with this? And you know what his answer was? I threw my heart over the crossbar first and then I went after it. 
So when you decide to do this thing called marriage, throw your heart over the crossbar first and choose to go there. And don't ever stop making that choice. This is a choice that is not a one-time choice. This is a choice that every single day you wake up, yep, I'm choosing to love today. And there's going to be good days, and there's going to be bad days, and there's going to be gut-wrenchingly bad days. Choose to love. All right? So, lesson one of famous love, choose love. Lesson, lesson two next week is love wins. And we are going to reach down and pull this beautiful truth out of the wretched hands of Rob Bell's book uh, and fix it. Okay? How's that? You like that? We're going to fix it. Because when he started teaching this 20 years ago, it was really, really good. And then he decided he wanted to monkey with it, and then it was not good anymore. So we're going to go back to the original. So your memory verse for next week is at the bottom of your handout, 1 Corinthians 13, 4. This is a short one, guys. It's a really short one. Okay, so help me here. Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself. It is not puffed up. And if you throw love as a choice in there, I will say that is not part of Scripture, but I will smile. So, it's okay. All right. Any questions or feedback or comments about this? I had seven pages of notes today, and we're done early. Hoorah. All right. Hearing none, uh, two things I want you to be aware of. One is that we have a luncheon, luncheon potluck, whatever the word is. We're going to eat um, right after the worship service this morning. So thank you for those of you that brought food. I think it's all in the big warmer thing there uh, and over there. Oh, it's over there too. That's awesome. Uh, the room smells a whole lot better today, so it's just, that's all I knew. Uh, so we got that going on today, uh, and then Saturday night at... She said the S word in church. It's beautiful. S'mores. I love s'mores. I'm not eating them, though. God, I'm so, i got ten more to go. Ten more pounds to go, and then I'm tearing s'mores up. Okay? That's all I'm saying. That's all I'm saying. All right, so that's Saturday night, or Saturday afternoon, about 3.30 or so, big bonfire. Uh, we've got a 20-acre location. We'll get out, hang out. Yes, this is, this is bring the little ones and let them do... Run! Yes. So, good stuff. All right, so that's Saturday. We'll put the details on Facebook. If you're not part of the Facebook class, then let me know, and we'll add you in, or we can email you, because that's cool, too. So, um, All right, on your tables is a piece of paper, and it's got prayer requests on it. So let's uh, lean in, engage with those, write those prayer requests down, pray as a group, and you are dismissed. Thanks for coming today.